Thank you for joining us for another episode of Turf Dudes brought to you by Harrells. This is your host, Jack Harrell III. Our Turf Dudes are reaching out to industry leaders and game changers to discuss what they're seeing out there. Topics focus on turf health, nutrition, control solutions, and the latest in academic research. You can subscribe to us on iTunes and Google Play Music or tune in directly at www.turfdudes.com. Send us your questions to at TurfDudes on Twitter or email to TurfDudes at Heralds.com. TurfDudes is spelled T-U-R-P-H-D-U-D-E-S. In today's episode, Dr. Cale Bigelow, professor of agronomy at Purdue University, discussed winter turf management with Dr. Jeff Atkinson, Heralds Director of Agronomy. Welcome to another episode of Turf Dudes Podcast. I'm your host today, Jeff Atkinson, the Director of Agronomy at Harrell's. I'm joined today by Dr. Kel Bigelow, a professor of agronomy at Purdue University. Uh, Kel, welcome and thanks for uh, joining us today. Thanks, Jeff. It's uh, you know a lovely November afternoon, starting to get towards afternoon. Snow is starting to get on the ground, but um, what do you want to talk about today besides uh, turf? Well, wherever we go is fine. Um, kind of uh, appropriate for the Appropriate for the time is uh, appropriate for the weather outside. I'm certainly getting ready for for winter on my drive up here today, uh, north from Indianapolis to Purdue. There's a lot of land that was covered in snow, and it's kind of a reminder that uh, winter is coming. Yeah, the plant the plants already, plants shut down. Already, already here. Um, I think our low temperature in Indianapolis last night was uh, 19 degrees. So a little early for yeah. uh, for winter, and I'm sure it's starting to get the same way up here. And we have a big storm coming in, or forecasted to come in. Um, later on this evening and until tomorrow. So uh, there's a lot of changes going on with turf. Absolutely. And after, oh. after a tough summer, it's, uh, it's a lot going on out there. Yeah, it seems like we didn't have too much time to, to, to recover from the tough summer either. No. We, we had no. summer stretched into what? Uh, yeah. October, mid-October, second week of October around here. And now it's uh, the switch is flipped. So we had, what, six weeks or four weeks of recovery weather. It, it wasn't much. It wasn't much. So a difficult year, that's for sure. So before before we get into all that, though, I want to make sure our listeners know who you are, know a little bit more about the Purdue Turf Program. Sure. And uh, the things that are the good things that are going on here at Purdue. So I want to start out just kind of introducing yourself and, and what you do here at Purdue. Yeah. So, uh, again, I'm, I'm one of our, our turf team, one of the faculty in our turf team. You know, we've got five positions in our turf program, uh, you know, turf grass weed ecologist, uh, extension specialist. We've got a, uh, a pathologist. We have an entomologist. We have uh, a basic science person uh, that does a lot of our physiology and helps us to uh, answer some of the questions of, you know, why things happen when we see things on a practical side and trying to understand the mechanistic uh, types of approaches to, you know, what's going on there. And, uh, you know, then there's my research program that uh, has ranged everything from uh, soil and, and, and turf nutrition uh, towards, you know, things that we're working on a little bit more intently in recent years uh, with respect to how, how can we be more efficient with, uh, you know, water application, supplemental irrigation to uh, uh, to turf grass areas. It's, uh, uh, it's a big deal. You know, there are going to be some scarcity kinds of issues, you know, even in a, a wet summer like we had in 2018. I mean, you know, as well as anybody in the Indianapolis mm-hmm. area, the month of May was was pretty darn dry. I mean, they got kind of concerned about, mm-hmm. you know, water supplies and, uh, you know, those kinds of issues are going to be continuing uh, to be 
hot topic uh, issues for our industry and policymakers and everything else. So, you know, we, we kind of couch our, our program on the, under the umbrella of sustainability. And, you know, that can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But, you know, ultimately what we're talking about is, uh, you know, how can we be more efficient with the resources and the inputs, uh, you know, that we're, we're putting into these, uh, into these situations. I think in different parts of the country, you look at especially what's going on in the mid-Atlantic United States with the limitations on nutrient inputs. And then um, any given summer, depending on drought conditions in areas around the country, uh, limitations on you know irrigation restrictions and pressure of the irrigation restriction. But it's also being on the forefront of, um, of sustainability just because of the visibility mm-hmm. of golf and the visibility of sports fields and just the visibility of turf management in general to be proactive about that is, is a... Uh, yeah. And, and ultimately, you know, I, th- I think we're going to uh, you can allow me to do a little commercial for our for our undergraduate program Absolutely. here. And, Absolutely. Uh, you know, we do have a bachelor of science degree in in uh, in, in turf. Uh, but, you know, ultimately what what I talk to our students about is, you know, they're going to be managers. And, you know, mm-hmm. sustainability is is not necessarily about, you know, hugging trees and things like that. But it's, it's being a responsible manager uh, for, mm-hmm. for the resources that you're given. And uh, so we try and uh, do quite a bit of applied things to help the uh, help the industry in the region and, and across the nation. Yeah. And something along those lines of your turf program, I know something that you're particularly passionate about is finding new ways to communicate with the future turf managers or the future turf students. Um, and that's an evolving art, I'm sure. But what have you found that is, has worked to... Um, it, it, it's all over the map, quite frankly. And I, I think it's, uh, something that we've realized, uh, as we've been going through the recruiting process for our college and, uh, you know, broadly defined, trying to attract individuals, young individuals into the plant sciences, broadly defined and turf would be a piece of that. Uh, it's, it's a multi-pronged approach and, uh, you know, it's everything from, you know, some of these email blasts to the people that help the, the students making decisions like their parents mm-hmm. uh, to, you know, making sure that we're present at, you know, a variety of types of venues. Uh, and then, uh, you know, our college actually has a reasonably good presence on social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, I interact quite a bit with some of my colleagues on, you know, some some of our, our social media platforms. And, and that's a nice way to connect with some of the folks that are currently in the, in the industry. Mm-hmm. But you know, trying to crack that nut of the the fourteen to eighteen year old student that might be interested in a in an undergraduate program in ag is is difficult. Um, one of the things that I had an opportunity to do this past uh, uh, this past October was go to the uh, National FFA convention for the first time. Oh wow! And uh, that's you know, a pretty big deal, isn't it? It's a huge deal, and you know we host that here in Indianapolis. But you have all these uh, all these young people from all across the United States that. Uh, you know, with, with some of our partners with the GCSA and STMA, uh, we're going to start to have more of a presence at, at those kinds of events. Cause I, I think there's probably some, some young men and women that, that aren't aware that, you know, there's some great careers, uh, you know, on our side of the industry. So, so that'll, that'll kind of yeah. continue to unfold. And not just the, the great career, but the variety of, of careers as well. We could do a whole, a whole podcast just on this, but you know, I, I think there's pigeonholes of golf course superintendent, sports turf manager, and landscaper. But uh, in between those, there's all kinds of in- industries surrounding those. Yeah, there's um, the whole supply chain and the support. Um, yep. And you know, there there are desk jobs and there are plenty of not desk jobs. But uh, you know, this generation that's coming into the university, they're going to see more and more technology. I mean, the robotics thing that you know our university talks to us about is. Uh, as labor supplies start to dwindle, you know, we talk about robotic mowers and, 
Yep. There's there are folks on the on the harvest side of things, you know, whether it's apples or other kinds of things. There's there's some interesting things that are coming uh, mm-hmm. that. You know, like I said, you know, these folks that eventually graduate are going to be managers and it it might not be a manager like we see today. They might be managing uh, some equipment that does some really amazing things. Yeah, it's a different world where there's a superintendent in Colorado I'm aware of that has a set of robotic mowers on there on his facility. And then heard the first radio commercial yesterday for a Husqvarna um, automower. I've seen it before, but first mm. advertisement I've seen on, on the radio for the for general like homeowner, for, oh, yeah, wow. for the general home loan homeowner, which was said, we're certainly evolving things. But. Yeah. Well, when there's less people to operate pieces of equipment, we got to figure it out. Yeah. So. Yeah. Labor is becoming more and more of an issue. Yeah, that's it, for sure. It's an issue. That's but. an issue. Well, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about this winter, getting ready for winter. We're, sure. um, we're mid-November here. Uh, certainly, weather's already starting to turn cold mm-hmm. in Indiana, but mm-hmm. you know, applications across the country, at least for the audience of, of this podcast in certain parts of the country, are still getting into that transition area. You know, the days are getting shorter. There's no stopping that, but as the temperatures shift as well, all those things kind of come together and what we can do to get the turf ready for um, for winter and get ready for winter survival and then set the stage for coming out of dormancy next spring. Um, what are some things as far as what superintendents can be considering from you know, maybe chemical inputs, uh, from fer- fertility inputs, from water inputs? I know there's a lot of different topics. Um, let's just start out with water inputs. You know, what's going on with the plant as we move from summer into fall and into winter in terms of water use by the turf? Well, it certainly slows down. The overall water use is going to slow down because evaporative demand, you know, declines. I yep. mean, that's, that's no big surprise. But, you know, one of the things that's oftentimes in the back of my head is, is the risk for desiccation. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that, that to me is sometimes overlooked as far as, um, you know, the plant going into dormancy a little bit too dry mm-hmm. uh, or there are periods during the winter that, you know, things do get dry and, and the plant mm-hmm. plant struggles. I don't think that, you know, in 2018, we're going to have too many yeah. plants that have gone into the winter, you know, overly dry. Too dry. Yeah, yeah. We, we've Jeez. had... We've had at least here uh, in in this region, we've we've had quite a bit of uh, moisture in the ground, and soil moisture is mm-hmm. still pretty high. Um, yeah. So so that's that's something that I'm thinking about. And more rain in the forecast. Uh, more rain in the forecast, and uh, you know there there could be a little bit of snow that you know is gently going to move back into the ground as well. So um, so what what other kinds are we thinking? How about a fertility point of view? Uh, hopefully, you know, if you're dealing with cool season grasses, hopefully they've actually fed the plant this fall. Yeah. Uh, but you know, one of the things, and, and we're having a, a turf and landscape seminar, we do a two day turf and landscape seminar here at our facility, uh, for professionals each year in November. And, uh, you know, one of the questions that came up, uh, this, this past day was, uh, related to nutrition and, mm-hmm. and should you be adjusting your nutritional program based on the weather patterns from 2018? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, what do you think? You know, we had excess rainfall and uh, we do have some soluble nutrients that, that mm-hmm. certainly could be moving. Uh, so, you know, our, our friends in a place like Florida are, are pretty accustomed to, you know, you know, nutrients moving through the root zone. Yep. So uh, here in, in a place like Indiana, um, they maybe are not paying as much attention to that. But but I suggested to them that if they had some areas that, you know, had some, uh, some vigor issues that, mm-hmm. you know, don't, don't discount that some of that nutrition that is historically there may have moved, uh, and to be paying attention to that and planning for that in 2019, you know, we're at a point now 
here in the middle of November that, you know, like you said, low temperatures of 19, uh, you know, it's hard for me to suggest to someone that they should be putting for fertilizer out into the, into the landscape at this point, because yep. the, the plant's just not going to take it up. Or if it does, it's going to be in such a low level that it's a potential environmental loss. So and that's it. That's a, to clarify here in this area where we're already warm and, or excuse me, cold enough to have yep. a plant to shut down. But if so we go areas further Tennessee, south. Tennessee, you know, Northern Alabama, Georgia, places like that, then, yeah. you know, you're still, you still got some active growth that's happening there. Um, and that's, you know, spoon feeding types of programs, you know, um, I'm more interested in the gentle approach as opposed mm -hmm. to the, you know, the big hammer of a big slug of, of, mm -hmm. of nutrients. So, um, you know, look at that plant, you know, assess some of the vigor and you know gently feed it if you have to i guess uh, we talk fertilization in general but specifically between you know nitrogen and potassium i guess are more are two important nutrients going into this time of year or uh what, what are your thoughts about specific nutrients or what is important to the turf this time of year well and you know, I, I kind of get confused on the potassium thing. You know, yeah. we just came back. You've from been crop, doing some work yeah. on that the last couple of years, haven't you? Uh, not, not, not a crazy amount, but, you know, there there have been a whole bunch of pockets of uh, potassium research in, in recent years. And uh, I come away from some of that research a little bit um, just uh, with my eyebrows raised and not sure what to think. I know there was a, a study done, just completed at Penn State, looking at potassium on the golf greens and um, the effects they saw were, were, um, were pretty small, mm -hmm. um, but it doesn't mean that there aren't needs for potassium. So I, I still tend to focus on nitrogen there. And, uh, you know, for our region, you know, as we get to about Halloween, we start to try and back off the amounts of nitrogen that would yeah. be out there. But again, we start really slowing down as far as growth, mm -hmm. as you get into yeah. the, you know, the, you know, parts of the Carolinas and things, uh, it's a little bit of a different beast, but you don't want it. It's sort of a Goldilocks kind of thing, you know, yeah. not too much, not too little, you know, just right. And, uh, you know, determining that just right aspect for uh, an individual uh, location and turf species. Uh, that's a boots on the ground kind of thing. Yeah. And we were, um, this is a little bit different topic, but before we hit the record button, you and I were talking about uh, the amount of seed that was put down this mm -hmm. year and, and kind of in recovery mode to try to recover from, um, from the summer of 2018 and some of the challenges there. And I, I'm aware of, of, I've seen some areas that even seed was being put down within the last 10 days or so. And, you know, the germination percentage of that is going to go down, all that. What can we expect for this seed that was established in um, fall of 2018 when we get into the spring of 2019 and trying to kickstart those areas that either may not have fully established or, um, mm -hmm. or have only, you know, germinated and are just kind of sitting there sitting in place? Well, uh, a lot of it's going to be temperature uh, driven, you know, temperature and sunlight is, is what's going to drive whether or not these things uh, thrive. Uh, but if you don't have any sort of nutrition that's there, you know, close to that seed and, you know, those, yeah. those vulnerable root systems, uh, you know, some sort of gentle feeding at that time is, is probably appropriate. Uh, you know, at that time of the year, you know, more soluble kinds of sources is, are, are probably the way to go. Uh, we've got a lot of great controlled release nitrogen sources that, you know, potentially can feed for the season. Uh, but if you have a young seedling yeah. that you're trying to get established, you know, something that has some water soluble nitrogen, but lower rates. Give it know. a quick. Yeah, something just kind of quick dose. You know, bump it. And, you know, some of these liquid products are pretty good, too. So um, depending upon if you're able to if you're able to feed that way or not. Yeah. So. Now you did, if I remember correctly, at, the, uh, at field day this past year, the Purdue field day, one of your graduate students did some work on um, seed establishment. We did do some spring seedings. Spring we we seeding. had some folks that were real interested in, you know, what can we do to 
try and help with spring seedings. And yeah, it's a, what'd you learn? What did I learn? Um, it's hard. Yeah. You know, plain and simple, it's hard because we had uh, a number of, uh, you know, that particular project and, and some other things where we did some, uh, you know, May, June seedings. And uh, if you don't have to do it, you don't want to do it. But the reality right. is in our industry that, you know, construction schedules and thinning yeah. turf because of damage. Uh, sometimes you just got to do some seeding at times that you don't want to, um, don't want to, um, the, the weed suppression products that we have in the marketplace yeah. and everything's from our tenacities to our pilexes to, you know, even things like 2%, you know, those are real, real helpful, uh, just in trying to shift the competitive balance towards, you know, your desired turf grass species. Um, we also found that, uh, you know, real slow germinating species, no, no surprise, shocker, you know, yeah. things like Kentucky bluegrass are, are really difficult to establish in the summer months. Uh, but our ryegrasses, our tall fescues, some of our mixes, uh, those, those gave us reasonably good results. So yeah, it's, uh, and starter fertilizer was sort of a mixed response. We saw okay. some slight benefits, but you know, it wasn't, it wasn't night and day, but, um, uh, you know, again, coming back to that nutritional piece. So as you, as you progress through the summer, uh, did those, that the spring seeded areas, you had more, was it disease problems, heat stress problems, any number, just kind of summer decline issues? It, it was, frankly, it was kind of hard to, to pull it all apart, but probably the biggest issue that we saw was, you know, weed competition. Yeah. You know, summer annual weeds, you know, uh, some, some of the broadleaf weeds as well as, you know, crabgrass and to a certain extent, goosegrass. Yeah, weed control, I mean, that's tough. It, it, the broadleaf weeds and seedlings, you have, um... Our fentrazones um, out there. Yeah, P-ethyl octanes out there or quicksilver yeah, yeah, out there. Yeah, quicksilver. Uh, those are two two options for but you got to get them small. You know, there's nothing uh, that's really safe on seedlings that, you know, can control them when they're, when they get to a bit more of an advanced stage. Yeah. And, the, you know, the other issue that I, you know, I sometimes, you know, wonder um, is, is does someone actually have a piece of equipment that they can reliably apply these products? Right. You know, if you're doing lawns. Calibration. And, well, yeah, that's, that's a part of it. But if you've got a, you know, a, a young seedling stand and, you know, you've got 150, 160 gallon sprayer and it, that's a heavy piece of equipment yeah, driving across some of those, yeah. so, those seedlings. So, you know, maybe some spot spraying or something, you know, it might be an option for some folks. Yeah. So, yep. Yep. I talked, I talked to one golf course manager because it was so, it was so wet this year at their property. Uh, they were, they were push mowing one fairway area. It was, it was a bank wow. grass area that it was, it was so wet for them this year that they couldn't get, you know, their traditional truck, even a triplex on the thing. So, uh, his staff had about a half an acre on one fairway that was Jeez. a little low lying that, uh, they were using traditional 21 inch rotary mowers to try and just keep the grass cut. Well, we talk about sustainability and labor issues. I don't think that that fits under either no. one of those umbrellas. No. Goodness gracious. But the members don't care. Yeah, they don't care. It's just got to get done. Yeah. They want to get out there and play. Yeah. So when we get into winter two, we're also considering um, disease suppression and, mm -hmm. and, you know, fungicide applications, whether that be for snow mold, whether that be for spring dead spot, spring dead spot, not necessarily being an issue up here as much as it is as we get into. Oh, we get quite a bit. You'd be surprised. Markets. You'd yeah. be surprised. It's not, it's not to the severity because we don't have quite as much, but it's, it's real. So what are the recommendations for spring dead spot 
fungicide applications. It's, it's a soil temperature related more. So uh, I guess a 65, 70 degrees soil temperature. Yeah. You know, again, again, kind of back to the social media kind of stuff. Uh, you know, one of our colleagues uh, at NC State, you know, Jim Kearns is yep. in, in some of those folks. They've been, they've been pretty good, especially since, you know, they've had so much moisture through the Carolinas this year. But, you know, he's been uh, pretty good about trying to inform people where soil temperatures are because it is such a, yeah. uh, a soil temperature related uh, kind of thing. But between, you know, folks like him and, you know, Dr. David McCall at Virginia Tech, uh, yep. the folks that have, have spent a fair bit of time on the uh, uh, on spring dead spot, that timing is still a really important aspect of, of what you need to do. Social media aspect has made it so much more convenient and easier to find those re- find those guys who are specialized in those research mm-hmm. topics, you know, because we there's, there's so many different directions as researchers that everyone's going, you know, so to be able to get that information from from those guys. But my but back to your question about this the spring dead spot is um, it, it's it's a multiple application kind of thing. Yep. I think most fungicide labels from what from what I've been able to gather at least two applications, but you got to at least start the first one. Uh, at an appropriate timing. So. And it's, it, it seems like there's been a number of chemistries that have either been developed for that use uh, that, we, that yeah. we didn't have in the past. You know, Rubigan came off the market, and after that came off the market, there was kind of a, a dead time there for yeah. effective control options, but that seems to have changed. I mean, have you seen some things that, you know, chemistry-wise that, you know, seems to be prevalent? I mean... Um, I know there's been some that have been, been developed. I don't know, uh, I'm drawing a blank on... Uh, PBI Gordon has a um, one of their fungicides okay. that they're developing for that, and I think that a couple of the uh, but targeting the really yeah, targeting okay. those specific and, okay. um, for those specific uses. What about for uh, um, a snow mold? What do you see this year, 2018, coming out of uh, um, this past spring? Yeah, we're not we're not a, at least from West Lafayette and South. Uh, snow mold is not a huge issue. I mean, it, it's here. Don't yeah, get me wrong, yeah. but it's it's not something that's going to you know, devastate turf like you might see in some of the more northern markets, whether it's a Detroit or you know, our our dear friend Paul Koch up at University of Wisconsin. He gets I mean, some good pressure. He gets some serious pressure. That's an but impressive we do back. we do have uh, we do have some, um, but it's not not to the extent that you know our folks are are worrying about it most people are still putting things to bed right about now yep. uh with some sort of you know covering things up in case it does mm-hmm. snow uh but you know most of the time it's 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 not quite as bad as uh, as what you see in the more northern more northern climates um so i mean that's all i got on that yeah it seems uh every year there's debate that you see going on on social media about when to make snow mold applications, the fungicide applications. And, you know, Thanksgiving is always kind of that, which is next week, but that's always kind of that, um, that timing that, that people seem to shoot for, but it never fails every year that you make those applications and you have snow melt, then you have to make a reapplication mm-hmm. or make the decision if you want to make a reapplication right. or not. It's but, you know, when you're talking about putting green turf, you know, that's, you don't want to compromise that coming into the spring and yeah, have, have, the, have the voids that are there. So, you know, to, to make a second application on three acres of turf, if that's your livelihood, then, you know, I, I think as an insurance policy, I'd have it in the budget yep. that, you know, we're going to bank on possibly two applications, you know, yeah. and if you don't have to do the second out, then great. But, uh, you know, don't, don't skimp there. Yeah. It was interesting. I was listening to uh, Dr. Latin give a talk yesterday, um, in the Northeast to a group of superintendents and talking about how these snow mold fungicides, and I'm not a pathologist, you know that, but how these snow mold fungicides, how they uh, persist for so long due to just the slower Mm -hmm. microbial breakdown in the soil. 
uh, as compared to when, if you were to make these applications in the midsummer and higher soil temperatures and all of that. So certainly if we get to a period where soil temperatures increase um, midwinter or somewhere through there, then another application may be warranted as those fungicides may break, may break down and not give the level of protection that we would expect. Well, and the other thing, you know, it's, it's not uncommon that sometimes we do get a, a warmer December and on occasion uh, there are some golf course managers that are still having to, on occasion, actually mow their putting green surfaces. And yeah. so you might have made your application and you're mowing off some of that leaf tissue and suddenly you're taking away some of that fungicide. I mean, there's there are those those sorts of considerations. Yeah. The way things are tracking right now, I think we're going to get cold and stay cold. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, man. At least here. At least here, it looks yeah, it looks pretty pretty nasty for the, for the short term. But also mentioned one other thing about mowing, as far as the cultural practice goes, going into the winter, um, raising mowing heights, pretty good cultural recommendation going well, into the winter time. You know, kind of, where you're still growing. Um, you know, it's going to depend upon the area. You know, okay. if, if you're at a half an inch on a fairway area, you know, going to six tenths is that really going to do much for you? Yeah. I think that you know, when we're talking about you know some of our really close cut uh, areas, particularly things like putting greens, um, maybe a slightly high, slightly higher height of cut um, isn't a bad idea. And, and part of the reason that I like that strategy is you know there's still lots of opportunities for some folks to you know work some sand into that canopy. And, uh, you know, this is a great time of year if for whatever reason, you know, because of weather or, you know, you know, thin turf or turf that didn't have very good vigor that you had to back away from some of your, your sand applications mm -hmm. during the growing season. You know, this might be an opportunity to make yeah. up some of that. And, and, you know, there's a lot of insulating value from, you know, putting that top dressing out yeah. there. Credit if, yeah. Yeah. And if, but if, but if you're still maintaining things close to a 10th of an inch, you know, it's hard to keep that sand in that canopy or you potentially going to smother something and, um, so, so I like it a little bit higher, uh, you know, at this time of the year. Yeah. Yeah. It's all, um, speaking of just kind of winter projects and things that we, you can do that are not necessarily, well, that are turf related, but you know, outside of turf, mm -hmm. you know, I saw a lot of areas and, um, the tough summer that we had in 2018 areas, you know, restricted air movement, restricted sunlight that really seemed to struggle this year. Um, not that they don't struggle every year, but in a year like this year, it seemed to be exacerbated. Um, are there you know, what effect does sunlight have on, on turf during the winter and then also in spring as, uh, you know, sunlight angles are lower and sunlight, you know, the length of sunlight in a given day is reduced? I, I think it's massive. You know, the, the whole idea that, um, you know, and any light that the plant potentially can get at, at, at certain key times of the year can make make a really, really big difference. And, uh, you know, we've had a, a number of um, We've had a number of folks that have uh, been able to document, you know, some of the some of the effects of sunlight on on turf grass plants, and you know, you start thinking about you know people that are concerned about annual bluegrass encroachment and you know tree shade and and all the other kinds of things. But uh, you know, sunlight, sunlight, sunlight. I, I think that was a pretty big factor for some folks uh, that did experience mm -hmm. some turf loss in 2018. You know, excess soil moisture and and just even. Uh, you know, some, some shade that you normally wouldn't think would be an issue uh, seem to create a weaker plant. Yeah, it's, um, you need the sunlight to drive photosynthesis and you need photosynthesis to drive, um, drive plant health. To drive so, the boat, man. To drive the boat and sit. So last topic, when we come out of winter, we come out of spring in 2019, or we start spring in 2019, what do we need to be thinking about as kind of the turf wakes up from its winter slumber? 
Ooh, uh, you know, we, we had a lot of turf just the way the weather was here. And I think that, you know, you talk to those folks in the Southeast that just have had so much moisture that's still in the mm-hmm. ground and, and the recovery from, you know, the hurricane that went through there and all the, all, all that water, um, you know, there's just going to be a lot of weak turf coming out. Right. I, I would, I would expect, you know, there's going to be some areas that are going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no doubt about it. There's just going to be some areas that for, for lots of reasons, because of growing environment or whatever, uh, are going to be awesome, but, um, be careful is, is the biggest thing. And, you know, do some scouting if you can. Um, if you don't have to, you know, push a lot of, you know, early season, uh, early season traffic on some things, you know, try and avoid it. I know some people go to temporary greens on occasion mm-hmm. and, you know, try not to back away from those if you don't have to. Uh, but, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of job pressures, but, um, I would think that, you know, coming out in the spring, uh, that nutritional piece that we just talked about yep. and, you know, maybe some liquid feeding just to kind of bump some things along rather mm-hmm. than put a, you know, a, a heavy granular application out there that you may or may not be able to control some of the release on it. Uh, but it's, it's, it's going to be a wait and see, but, uh, 2018 is going to sort of blend right into 2019 in terms of, uh, terms of difficulty, I think. Yep. Yep. I agree. Well, I appreciate your time. Um, what are you working on now as far as research with your uh, graduate students you know, and yourself personally? We, we, we've got a lot of uh, interesting things. Um, you know, I, I have a couple students that are, are really focused on, you know, the supplemental irrigation aspect of, you know, what can we do as far as how much water do certain species need. But, um, you know, ideally we want to try and move towards a more data driven approach towards mm-hmm. irrigation and, uh, you know, exactly what that looks like. It's going to take some time for it to continue to develop, but myself and, you know, several other researchers across the United States are, are starting to gather pieces of information, everything from, you know, prevailing weather data, historical weather data, you know, sensor uh, mm-hmm. kinds of things, you know, eventually we might even move into some of these thermal imaging kinds of things. And if there's a way that, you know, we can, uh, you know, dial that in with all that information. And then uh, the X factor will be the species. And yeah. of course, mowing height and, and, and things that we've talked a little bit about. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think that we can make some pretty, pretty substantial uh, changes in the way that we use supplemental irrigation for athletic fields, golf courses, and, you know, our biggest acreage, which is, which is home lawns. Um, so yeah. we got some things on that. Uh, still doing quite a bit of work, you know, in, in the area of soil surfactants, uh, nutritional products, you know, everything from, you know, some of the traditional synthetic kinds of materials that are out there. Uh, there, there, there might be a few, you know, biological kind of things that are in the pipeline that, mm-hmm. uh, we'll continue to investigate down that road, but, you know, it still comes back to, you know, that umbrella of sustainability, mm-hmm. uh, and, and the idea of, you know, seeing if there's some, some market opportunities for some, some things that aren't, that aren't already there. Mm-hmm. So, um, I'll probably be looking for a graduate student you know, this, <laughs> this coming summer. So, uh, if somebody's listen, listening that yeah. you know, maybe thinks they might want to come back to school and, you know, hang out with a bunch of goofballs at Purdue, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a good time and it's a great institution. So the football team's getting better. Football team continues to get better ups and downs. So, yeah. uh, uh, but it, you know, the other thing is we do, we do have a nice relationship with, uh, you know, golf and sports and, and everything here. So if, if you're an applied kind of person and, uh, think you want a, a change of base, you know, yeah. don't hesitate to reach out to us. I tell you the research facility you guys have between, um, how old is the greenhouse facility? It's not very old. Our greenhouses are about, 
I don't know, 10 or 12 years old. They're, serv- uh, they're very serviceable. Yep. Very ex- excellent. So um, your field research area is uh, one of the nicer areas mm-hmm. that I've visited. Yep. You were bookended by two golf courses on either yep. side of the research facility yep. where you can uh, have a number of applied research products. I think that the Purdue research facility is uh, one of the finest that I've, that I've visited. We're lucky. So we're, we're, we're definitely lucky. And, um, uh, we, we continue to utilize it and our, our bosses seem to appreciate the fact that we, we keep it, we keep it fully stocked. So. Yes, absolutely. But yeah. Well, Kale, uh, Dr. Bigelow, I appreciate your time. Um, thank everybody for joining us today and uh, please join us in the future for another episode of Turf Dudes. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Turf Dudes. Dr. Bigelow can be reached by email at cbigelow at purdue.edu. To send Dr. Atkinson and the Herald's Turf Dudes team your questions or comments or to be featured on an upcoming episode, reach out to us at Turf Dudes on Twitter or by email to turfdudes at heralds.com. You can subscribe to us on iTunes and Google Play Music or tune in directly at www.turfdudes.com. Send us your questions to at turfdudes on Twitter or by email to turfdudes at heralds.com. Turf Dudes is spelled T-U-R-P-H-D-U-D-E-S.